Welcome. You're listening to episode, what number? 52 of G.I. Joburg. That's in. Oh my god. Hey. Oh, high five, baby. High five. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's episode 52 of G.I. Joburg. My name is Steve, and as always, I'm joined by... Not Gwen Stefani. And Robert. Wait, no, I am here. <laughs> Gwen Stefani is not. <laughs> no, no, but instead you're gonna get Paul. <laughs> With special guest appearance from Michelle. Say hello. Hello. <laughs> now the number 52 has some special significance, has it not, Rob? Indeed. Well, it's kind of gained the significance because of um, DC Comics and their insistence that everything's got to be 52 this, 52 that. So that kind of inspired my idea for this episode, which is we're going to be discussing crossovers. A lot of the time, G.I. Joe crossed over with the Transformers, which is quite an easy fit, because they're both by Hasbro. Mm-hmm. But we thought, hey, Toy commercial. Yeah! But of course, they never, like, made good use of it, did they? I mean, it's always crossing over in the comic books. They never really did any crossovers in the cartoons, as far as I know. And there's no toy crossovers, like the toy lines didn't cross over. Oh, there was one or two instances of toy crossoveriness. I mean, the Snowcat found its way into the Transformers Energon line. Yeah, he's cool. They even called him Snowcat. <laughs> and also, he's cool. Most recently, there seems to be a lot of GI Joe exclusives in the form of GI Joe Transformers crossovers. We got uh, don't Jetfire. But anyway. No, I mean, like, don't get me wrong, it's significant in what it is, but what it is is insignificant. It's a repaint of the Sky Striker, Sky Striker as Jetfire, with a backpack that is similar to the super pack of a VF-1. Yes. And then they've also done a purple his tank uh, that is uh, meant to be Shockwave. Very good. And, yeah, nice. and with that, uh, they also did a uh, Ravage that came with a Baroness, and they... They did something else that was cool there as well. They had a boombox, a sound... Jeez, uh, um, what did he say? Soundwave. It, it is Soundwave. <laughs> it is Soundwave. You'd be right. Sorry, guys. And they did a vamp yeah, so... in, the, in the style of, of Hound. Yeah. <laughs> He's cool. Okay, so they have done a few things. Okay, mm. I hadn't realized they'd done so much. But the thing is, G.I. Joe has only ever crossed over with, with um, Transformers. So I thought, hey, why don't we each like pitch a cool idea of you know, a crossover? Maybe not the ultimate crossover things ever, but just some ideas of what, what do we think a cool crossover would be. <laughs> or, or what do we think would be a completely off-the-wall zany crossover. Excellent. <laughs> We've let our imaginations run wild a little bit. I but something I want did. to just bat back to you, Rob. Whoa. The significance of 52 in the DC Universe for those of us who are lay people. Oh, well, I don't know. This made a whole thing of it when they started making like weekly comics, and they called it like 52, like a countdown to like some big event in their thing. And then they restructured their universe because they, they keep doing that with the DC universe. You know, it becomes me- a multiverse and then a single universe. At one point, they established that there are 52 universes mm. um, with different versions of the characters in each universe. And then also, most recently, about two and a half, three years ago, they relabeled their entire line, DC, the new 52, when they kind of rebooted their entire universe which they've now after a big event called convergence they've now they've dropped the new 52 moniker and it's just dc comics again hmm. yeah it's very similar to uh, marvel's uh, ultimate line of comic books where they almost are refreshing the brand to put it in uh, the hands of new like a new crowd it's for a new generation yeah, no definitely and they also they kind of de-aged a lot of the characters they were much younger 
um, than they were before, and also they kind of updated the origins of these characters in a way to make it more modern. They also did some strange things like reintroduce Barbara Gordon as Batgirl and sort of restructure some of the origin stories as well. Yeah, I don't know what happened to her getting shot in the spine. I think that story was still canon for the New mm. 52, but I don't know... I don't know the specifics of how she, like, got up again. I got the comic, but I haven't read it. <laughs> I've e- actually got number one. Yeah, I got all, basically all those number ones. when Not all of them, but most of them when they came out. <laughs> Can I also make a, a special announcement today? Ooh, um, getting married? Congratulations. Uh, oh, congrats, no. Paul, Michelle. Nothing as exciting oh. as that. Oh. No, nothing as exciting as that yet. Can I come oh. to the wedding? Oh, yeah, totally. If I do that, Joe, you can totally rock up. <laughs> uh, I'll give you guys props. You yeah, can get exactly. like special uniforms. We're not getting invitations. Oh right. shit, dude. We're just rock. No, you're totally gonna get be the maids of honor. <laughs> Rob wants to Rob, you can be the maid of honor as long as you dress up as Serena. <laughs> <laughs> but then you can dress up as Baroness. Damn. Oh. No, that that can be reserved for the bride, although she doesn't know that yet. Anyway, um, <laughs> moving right along. Today's special announcement is. Today is a special day for G.I. Joe fans, um, as it's Larry Harmer's birthday today. Jeez, I hope you wished him. I did wish him. Cool, 7th of June is Larry Harmer's birthday. I did not know that. Neither did I, now mm-hmm. I know. Don't finish. And knowing. Oh, jeez. Half the battle. Oh, God. That's right. <laughs> Woohoo! We're real Joe fans. <sighs> so, Paul, do you have any new stuff? Oh, my God. I do. Ooh. Turns out I finally got my eBay shipment that I was waiting for almost forever for. I finally got my hands on Tunnel Rats, on a vintage Tunnel Rats, which Yay. makes me very happy. Good figure. Yeah. <laughs> He's cool. One of the best. Like, really awesome. Sadly, he is missing his torches, but I can live without them for now. The flashlights. Let's speak international. <laughs> um, <laughs> Did he uh, leave him at the robots? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my torches there by the robot, eh? Yeah. Uh, anyway. Yeah, I don't have anything new coming as far as I know. I know Steven is waiting for something. It's been four months now and counting. Oh, piss off. <laughs> Only two and a half. <laughs> Only two and a half. <laughs> he yeah, even checks yeah. uh, the press box at midnight for the special midnight post. Oh, really? On a Saturday night. Just in case, just in case he's finally arrived. Uh, well, I, I seem to have learned that trick from you, Paul, but... You uh-huh. never know. You never know. Maybe, just maybe, you forgot to check your post box exactly. during like, the day. It's like that cat in the box. You don't know if it's alive or not unless you check. You can just shake exactly. the box. <laughs> well, unless it's a soundproof box. Hmm. I think it has to be for that experiment. Yeah. But anyway. It really does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, before we get, like, Peter phoning us or something like, uh, sorry, you're talking about animal abuse. It's a, it's a mm-hmm. mind experiment. Wait, not mind experiment. <laughs> yeah. What are they called? Metaphysical. <sighs> wow, yeah. you guys yeah. are full of a lot of hot air tonight. <laughs> Damn, put a <laughs> pin in it. Dude, it's cold. we got to fill these rooms with hot air. No. Oh. All right, folks, I think we've got a topic to get into, don't we? Excellent. <clears throat> okay, well, what is the most unlikely crossover to ever take place well gi joe versus gi joe knockoffs wow yeah i wanted to see (laughs) gi joe come up against (laughs) their indomitable foes the core 
which were G.I. Joe's probably most vivid, uh, most obvious imitators. I mean, there were, there were plenty throughout the years, but Leonard's core line to this day is still producing toys. Uh, and they had some pretty decent ones at that. But their most infamous moment was that initial run of core troops, which all seemed like shadows of G.I. Joe counterparts. Like, they didn't quite make the G.I. Joe bill. They didn't quite make the cut. You've got guys like Shooter Sam, who is... <laughs> He's cool. Very much a Wild Bill knockoff, even down to the orange handlebar moustache and twin six-shooters on his hips. But, you know, once you've had these two teams square off, what really happens? I don't think there's much of a storyline to be crafted there. So my storyline and my guest star crossover takes us back to the aftermath of Cobra Law. The Joes are sifting through the wreckage, and among them are the following characters. And you tell me, folks, if uh, anything starts presenting itself to you after I list the cast. Duke, Flint, Ricondo, Bazooka, Roadblock, Hit and Run, Psych Out, Outback, Tripwire, Blizzard, Tunnel Rat, Dusty, Frostbite, and Sky Striker. Anybody? Hmm. I'm stuck. There is a ringing up. <laughs> well, uh, Sky Striker most notably only numbered in this subset. But anyways, I'll get onto that later. So they're sifting through the wreckage of Cobra Law. They've located some old Cobra vehicles scattered around. They've kind of marshaled them all into a makeshift hangar. The weather starts getting really bad. So they kind of call it a day on their salvage operation and they head indoors. And Sky Striker is actually a bit of an arts nut, specifically specializing in aircraft fuselage designs. So he gets some airbrushes out and starts getting to work on some of these Cobra vehicles and things, and he gets a little bit carried away, a little bit creative about it. Cobra now is under the under the leadership of Destro, because Cobra Command is a snake and Globulus fled to parts unknown. So Pentor Ditto... Oh, no. Globulus, didn't he die? Eh, whatever. Serpento also gets sort of unceremoniously uh, dispatched. So Destro's calling the shots, and he's got a new group of stealth troops using pythonized weapons and equipment. He's sent them off to uh, the Himalayas to keep tabs on G.I. Joe. So they've got their pythonized stolen conquest aircraft doing... Um, reconnoiters of the area they've also got uh, winterized and pythonized stuns and asps just keeping a bit of a perimeter around the wreckage of cobra law just keeping an eye on what the joes are up to of course the weather starts coming in on them as well they decide to pull themselves in and try and find some kind of shelter inside the wreckage so you've got these two forces in almost close proximity to one another when all of a sudden, I think it's called the Well of Time. From? Well of Remembrance. The Well of Remembrance. Splits in two. An enormous energy surge starts pulsating from it. And both forces get sucked into what could only be called a time displacement or gateway into the past. Yeah. The past of Cobra Law. Earth's ancient history. 
<laughs> where Cobra Law consisted of a race of reptilian humanoids. And these reptilian humanoids are, in fact, the descendants of the snake people. Oh. <laughs> the, the snake people from which Slife of Thundercats was a, a member. Okay. Okay. I'm just wanting to stitch this together. They've gone into Earth's prehistoric past where uh, several groups of alien races crash-landed. There is a noble cat-like race calling themselves the Thundercats. Uh-huh. <laughs> and the evil mutants, a band of interstellar terrorists, the Monkey Men, the Hyena Men, or Monkeyans, I think they're called. Monkeyans, yeah, I had one Monkeyans. of them. The Jackal Men and the Evil Mutants are obviously after the source of the Thundercats' power, which is the Eye of Thundra, which is set into their leader's Sword of Omens. And this Sword of Omens is what created the rift in time, sucking G.I. Joe and Cobra Forces back through the Well of Remembrance and into prehistoric Earth history, where they must rally together to firstly stop the evil mutants from overcoming the Thundercats and stealing the Sword of Omens, and also somehow use the Sword of Omens to take them and Cobra back to their own time. Now, surely by now you know what G.I. Joe subset is teaming up with the Thundercats. It's Tiger Force and Python Patrol fighting the evil serpents! Yeah! Very good. So, so, I mean, (laughs) my master plan was to have the Thundercats and Tiger Force team up and Snake Men and Python Patrol versus the Thundercats and Tiger Force. Ha! Very cool. So, how did we go from the core to Thundercats? I'm just a bit confused. Because, like, initially it was like, so what do these things all have in common? I'm like, they're representations of core figures. <laughs> I don't know. I'm very confused. I um I set out to delude you folks. Oh, uh, hey, you're trying core, to check everyone. No, the hey. core idea was very fine and well, and the ultimate extension of that core idea would be mm? to go completely meta. You'd have GI Joe coming up against Core inexplicably, and then ultimately it turns out that this is a child. In a sandbox, wow. playing with all his action figures and mixing them up as he would. So you'd have this battle where you know Dragon Hand and Storm Shadow would be facing off, and then all of a sudden, Boba Fett. God, he's cool. What's Boba Fett doing in here? <laughs> <laughs> and then they all got on board Optimus Prime, and they escaped the confines of the Dune Sea. I mean, like the ultimate crossover would be essentially to try and almost lampoon or fictionalize or just expand upon a child's own imaginative adventures with all these characters. And that would be the ultimate crossover. Just mix up all your toy properties. But I didn't want to do that. Ah. So instead I spun this yarn about the Thundercats and the Tiger Force and the Python Patrol and the Snake Man. Very cool. So what what medium would you you see this crossover? Comics, cartoons? (sighs) You know, I've seen the G.I. Joe Transformer graphic novels handled in almost a cartoon fashion. It has a very pop appeal 
from the art style to the kind of story that it tells, the fact that they always have to be almost one shot in their nature. While they might run into a few issues in length, ultimately the, this is not a continuity that, that has legs. has legs going forward. It ends when it ends. Uh, so it's best handled as a cartoon, to be honest. Mm. Yeah. And also it makes sense with the kind of the more out there ideas. I think cartoons often handle those a bit easier. But it wouldn't bar it from being a comic book. I mean, your costs are slight, your costs are dramatically lower putting a book out as opposed to getting an animation studio involved, I imagine. It's a lot more easier to manage on an independent standpoint. I mean, for example, Steve, you could pen the story and pay for an artist and an inker and they could draw it for you, and then you could get it self-published. Well, either that, or, I mean, like, IDW, publisher that publishes G.I. Joe, has so many intellectual properties that they, the licenses that I think they own or able to use. Yeah. I mean, something like this is not out of the realm of impossibility. I just wouldn't mind seeing the Thunder Tank and the Tiger Cat. At each other. Just rampaging over... Well, I mean, the world that the Thundercats inhabited was like a fantastical... I mean, you couldn't really call it prehistoric Earth. Yeah, it's like like a mythical jungle. And in that kind of really colorful world, to hell with it, man. Put the Mm. G.I. Joe vehicles in tiger stripes. What does it matter? It's like, let's just be super fucking aggressive and do that to all our vehicles. And, like, they'd have one solitary rattler and arm it with Thundercat ordnance or weaponry or tech stuff like yeah the options are endless when you smash two disparate technological realms together yeah man it's very cool i actually really like that idea in japan a very common thing to do is to create uh what's known as dojinshi uh dojinshi is when average joes like ourselves come up with stories but it's not fan fiction necessarily so it's not about like getting Goku and Vegeta to bang each other or something stupid. But often it's um, it's a fan's response to the story and the world that is created in a, in a property that they love. Much like what we're doing now. And they often publish these doujinshi and the licensing on, on them isn't strict that they are not allowed to do it. They can just do it in low numbers. And doujinshi is a very popular art form in Japan. Um, and it's how a lot of manga car or manga writers or manga creators actually find themselves in the professional sphere, um, often creating something that's very fan-based or fanboyish, getting the reputation from it, and then ultimately releasing something which is their own sole property, and that becomes the next Bleach or the next Death Note and what have you. So, you know, that that's sort of starting to happen now in America with independent comics, although people can't really touch the big two's characters, and... It's cool, you know, it, it's an interesting dimension. So I love that we're doing this because we could, for all intents and purposes, you know, just make it. <laughs> you know? Totally. Yeah. The intellectual property of the man in the street is there to be exploited. Mm-hmm. So big publishers, if you listen to this, take my idea, run with it, make millions. You have my blessing. Not really. Yeah. Not really. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Next. Uh, do you want to go or can I go? You can go, Paul. I'm very curious to hear your idea. Okay, cool. Rob is generally is... very curious. What, what... <laughs> I'll try anything once. Especially if Baroness and Zorana and what happens, you know. On... Yeah, Baroness and Zorana and the clarinets, yeah. <laughs> they on make Splash Barana. page. <laughs> <laughs> Barana or Zoranus. <laughs> Ooh. 
Yeah, those are mine, Hasbro. My, those are my words. I will sell them to you. Um, well, I got three here. Uh, two, one is super obvious, and the other two are, well, you know, what Steve said about being a kid in a sandbox and bringing that to life. Uh, that is, yeah, that is something that resonates with me as well. Um, but I'm going to start off in the future in a distant planet, you know, where dinosaurs roam the earth. Two races fight for domination. One is the evil Rulons and the other is G.I. Joe. <laughs> so they yeah, crash land on this planet. And uh, what happens is they're marooned on this planet, but they've got sophisticated technology. And the one side uses special neurotransmitters to communicate with the local fauna. And they agree to help them. And they ultimately become G.I. Joe, the Dino Force. With... Um, Cobra and the Rulons being essentially the same thing and they running and they like create this, you know, these brain boxes and then they, they control dinosaurs and then they wreak havoc on this, on this planet trying to find their way back to the original timelines. The cool thing is it would be a Saturday morning cartoon. You could do some amazing merchandising rights. You see, this is wish fulfillment for me because I've mentioned this before in a previous episode, but I would really love dinosaurs and G.I. Joe together in a Dino Riders format, you know, so slightly bigger dinosaurs where you can fit G.I. Joes in the little turrets and stuff. So there's no his tanks. There's Ankylosaurus and there's Brachiosaur and there's Tyrannosaurus Rex and there's Velociraptor and Pteranodon gliders. So, yeah, that would be the one idea. I think it's awesome. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that whole time, all I could think of was an earlier episode where we each had to come up with five uh, characters that we would love to see in a G.I. Joe uh, format. Yes. Action figure style. And Paul ran with it. Paul, no, you just said, like, one of your five was Dino Riders. <laughs> I just want Dino Riders. <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you want? The dinosaurs? Do you want the, the guys? The armor? I want it all. Which, I want all which of it. character do you want to see in Joe format? That's the topic, Paul. And you were like, <laughs> no. Dino Riders. Dino Riders? Just Dino Riders. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Dino Riders by Dino Tyco, Riders. released in the late 80s. Wow. Hmm. What a toy line. They had uh, three-inch figures. No, shorter. About two-inch figures. Yeah. Articulated knees, uh, hips, arms, and heads. So they were pretty basic figures. And motorized dinosaurs that had real walking action. Yeah, the, the and were and covered in armor. It's gorgeous, gorgeous, really. I mean, like, the creativity of the toys was always quite cool. Beautiful toys, uh, great, like, sort of uh, little pieces, like turrets that were hidden inside rocks and, and all of that, that sort of added a dioramic mix. I just made that word up. It's mm-hmm. um, a good word. Thank you. Uh, so you could really create the environment, and with uh, vehicles, dinosaurs, being as big as they are, um, even as toys, you uh, you know you could benefit from having these cool traps and things that came with them as accessories and it was a great toy line. I really loved the toy line, not as much as I love GI Joe, but that has a lot to do with the figurines. If the figurines were articulated like the GI Joes were, I think that would be a different ball game altogether. Mm. So yeah, this is very much this this little segment was wish fulfillment. The other one, um. Mankind is separated into smaller colonies. Cities that were once massive are now reduced to rubble. 
where the few remnants of the human race work together to survive from the giants known as the Action Men. <laughs> Giant men that came out of nowhere with lifelike hair and removable clothing. <laughs> and annoying British accents. And British accents. Who am I? <laughs> so, <laughs> so the idea is, um, I remember when um, I got my G.I. Joe Snake Eyes, it always baffled me a little. It kind of irritated me, actually, that it didn't say G.I. Joe on the box. It said Action Force. It actually said Action Man. Um, I couldn't get the Snake Eyes to integrate. And eventually, he just became this giant with the other giant figures that my G.I. Joes would eventually try to kill. Um, that would go with uh, other figurines like the Power Rangers. Uh, the first wave of the Power Rangers was slightly slightly bigger, just under 12 inches, I think. Or well, not I think, I'm actually looking at them, they are just under 12 inches. Um, and I used to enjoy them fighting these giant guys. What made me think of Action Man for this uh, segment is I'm playing a Gundam game at the moment, where you actually play as a model kit, not as robots, not as yeah, mecha. That's so interesting. Yeah, so you start off as a 1 to 144 scale Gundam, which is about the same height as a G.I. Joe figure, as a modern era G.I. Joe figure, uh, but bigger in some cases and smaller in others, depending on the life size, uh, or the real life size of the actual Gundam. And then you go up against 1 to 100 scale master grade Gundams and perfect grades as bosses. Yeah. And as you... As you go through the game, you, you destroy them and you break their pieces come off and you actually start getting material from those pieces and you can make these Franken Gundams, which is known as kit bashing. And it's great because you you know, some of the arenas are actually in model shops where you got all these model boxes that you're jumping over and you're using little paint bottles as cover and that kind of thing. And it just made me think, oh, well, you know, G.I. Joe has also got a giant equivalent in the form of like Sideshow or uh, Action Force or Action Man. Uh, and the original G.I. Joes, which are giants, compared to the to their three three quarter inch brethren and four and something some change brethren inch brethren. So, yeah. So I figured, hey, let's put them together. You know, uh, Attack on Titan style, <laughs> and have G.I. Joe an elite force defend themselves from giants that come out of nowhere with removable clothing and lifelike hair and British accents <laughs> and weapons that really shoot. Oh shit! Yeah, so I'll leave it at that. I actually want to hear what Rob has to say. I'm very, I'm very curious. Oh, awesome! Well, mine's pretty straightforward. Like I was trying to find a way to do like superheroes, but then I always kept thinking like superheroes were just too overpowered for the kind of the GI Joe universe. I mean, I suppose there are sort of superheroic elements to GI Joe in a way, like the ninjas and stuff, but not so much. Captain America would integrate very easily. I think Captain America pretty would, would, which is why then I kind of started thinking more street-level heroes and why I was like, I thought a cool crossover type thing would be like G.I. Joe versus Heroes for Hire, which oh, cool. I, I thought was was a cool fit because, I mean, initially Heroes for Hire was Iron Fist and Power Man and then Colleen Wing and Misty Knight. It was just these four people. But as, as the... We were kind of like strippers, but they had fighting skills. And as the and then Misty had a bionic arm. Exactly, I that's mean, pretty freaking cool. That, that, her elbow don't get tired, man. <laughs> she gives good hand drops. <laughs> that's fine. I want out, Robbie. Yeah, I just had to say it. I had to be explicit about mm-hmm. it. I had to rub that out. Mm-hmm. I had to rub it out. <laughs> <laughs> But um, the cool thing is that as Marvel reintroduced this concept of the Heroes for Hire over years, 
Um, it came back a couple of times, like in 1996 and 2010. Um, they kind of restructured in a way, and they often introduced a couple of other heroes that kind of helped out, like um, the Scott Lang version of Ant-Man, who's the version featured in the film coming up soon. Um, Black Panther. <laughs> He's cool. Black Widow, the Falcon, and a bunch of other kind of low-level heroes, you know, kind of like superpower, like full ones, which I didn't think would kind of work with real-world aspect of G.I. Joe. Um, so my concept was basically like a comic book crossover where, like, an unbeknownst to the Heroes for Hire, they were hired by Cobra to protect a shipment of something, a consignment of what they have been told is aid goods, you know, food and supplies for orphans or something. Actually, illegal stuff, like, I don't know, robotics and shit like that. And G.I. Joe attacks, because, you know, they're like, oh, we're going to stop Cobra from doing this stuff. But they don't realize that they've been protected by Iron Fist and Power Man, and the cool fight breaks out. They're all fighting each other, but at some point, Cobra reveals themselves, and Heroes for Hire realize, shit, we're on the wrong side, no. And then eventually, G.I. Joe and Heroes for Hire fight together against Cobra, and possibly some other sort of Marvel-esque bad guys, I don't know, maybe the hand or something like that. You know, like Cobra teamed up with something. You know, that's how it always was in the comic books. Be like, like Hydra or something. Hydra, maybe, something like that. You know, because always in the comics you'd well... have, like, Superman versus Spider-Man, and then it's like uh, Lex Luthor and, I don't know, like Dr. The Joker. They teamed up. Yeah, or Joker, something like that. They teamed up. Hydra would be would be a good one. Uh, they would, you know, basically. The, the ori- mean, original analogs. source material for Cobra. Well, yeah, you know, with Max Fury, Pain, and all that stuff. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. But anyway, my, my idea is pretty straightforward. I just like the idea of having some of these sort of superheroes helping out and kind of fighting against Cobra. Who would win? Snake Eyes or Iron Fist? Oh, no. Oh. That's no, that difficult. Is difficult. <laughs> I think... Uh, guys, Snake Eyes has an Uzi. Yeah, but Iron Fist has the power of his Iron Fist, and and Chi, you just block it. Look, it takes about you know <laughs> twenty words of like text <laughs> bubble for him to summon his Chi. <laughs> All Snake has has to do is pop the safety and empty the mag. That's why he has Power Man with him. This ninja knows my weakness. <laughs> Bullets. Ooh. I don't know. We'll see how how well uh, Luke Cage does against Flash's laser. Oh. An impenetrable skin. Ah, my steel Fine. hard skin can be cut by something that can cut steel. No, it's, it's impenetrable skin. It's not necessarily steel hard. Oh no! All, it reminds me of a of a conversation I had on on a forum once, uh, where somebody posted something about ninjas. So I posted a picture of Snake Eyes, and then the guy was like, "There's not not a real ninja. Like, what kind of ninja carries an Uzi?" I'm like, "One who <laughs> wants to get a job done." <laughs> <laughs> that was it. Exactly. <laughs> what kind of oh. ninja carries an Uzi? Uh, the one that wins. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he brings a sword to it. Uzi fight. Fight. <laughs> yeah, so I thought that was cool. And just kind of keeping a basic level sort of superheroics in a way. You know, kind of like the vigilante, almost like mercenary type heroes. Mm. So I know other people who work with um, the Heroes for High included Moon Knight. <laughs> He's cool. Shang-Chi, who is also a martial artist type dude. Black Panther, as I said, Black mm. Widow. 
it all kind of felt like it kind of fitted into the G.I. Joe universe very easily. It would mesh together quite nicely. But the idea that I thought we could all discuss together, like I haven't even thought about it, um, was inspired by our collaborator, Kujo, of uh, 30 Minutes of Diabolical podcast fame and one of his favorite franchises. And thought, what would a G.I. Joe versus Tron crossover be like? Who wants to Who wants to shoot that idea first? Well, I thought you were about to say G.I. Joe versus Porn. Uh, no, that would that be interesting. You, <laughs> yeah, you just kind of have, um, I don't know, famous porn stars on one side. Hey, don't worry. Then, Birthday boy Larry Harmer, he's got the ball rolling already with issue <laughs> issue 196. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> so, G.I. Joe versus Tron. Yeah. Well... It starts off in a dusty old video arcade <laughs> where Slipstream and Sci-Fi are going toe-to-toe. Space Invaders. They're not Space Invaders. They'd be playing something cool. Like Tron. Yeah. Jeez. Oh, Snake playing, on their phones Tron. and their Nokias. <laughs> trying to outdo each other's high scores. They'd be playing Tron, exactly. Yeah, and somehow they get, I don't know, sucked, sucked into, into the, the machine. And then... Cobra gets involved somehow, and they're like, shit, we got to reuse this technology. Yeah, Destro wants to make a weapon out of it. Ah. Yeah, Militarizing, like, entire armies of people into tiny, like, non-existent electronic things. Derezzed. Well, Destro has, what he's done is, he's derezzed a whole bunch of special troops to be computer viruses to hack the world's missile launching systems or whatever to get all the launch codes for the nuclear devices in the world or something and uh and gi joe uh our mainframe mainframe nah. <laughs> uh sci-fi and them can't stop them on that level so they have to uh use the same technology but only destro has it so it's a daring mission to get into destro's base and then derail themselves knowing that they might not come back from it all to save the world from Techno nuclear terrorism. It's freaking cool, hey. I mean, I and, and it like feels, it. and it Works. feels even like a plot that you'd actually see in a in a J. J. cartoon. I think. Hmm. Which I think is really if cool. Memory serves. I think there is something similar to that, but I, I I'll get back to you on that one. I'm actually going through the whole series again. I'm narrowing down my favorites. There might be. I mean, I'm sure the wacky ideas are endless, but um. I think Cobra would stage some kind of assault on this laboratory that's created this machine that would essentially encode humans into a digital realm. Mm. And once there, you could hack systems because you're a sentient life form existing in this digital world. You, you, could, you, could, you could put yourself anywhere. So the Joes go in, like, moments after Destro gets himself... I don't know, zapped. Jeez, I'm not familiar enough with Tron to know the terminology. Derezzed. No, that's if you're destroyed inside. Oh, the, you're right. The, well, I don't know. Like, system. digitized. There we go. Oh, whatever. So the Joes are on his trail inside the arena of sport. Yes, well, <laughs> or anywhere in Tron. I mean, the, the second film definitely expanded the idea of a Tron world. It's not just an arena, the game itself. Like, it's living and evolving on this mainframe. Like, G.I. Joe, I think, is ripe for crossing over with almost anything else. Well, in our world, the real world, 
there is an arcade machine that is called Polybius. Uh, the game is called Polybius. It's actually quite rare. It's not a game that you can find often. And they, some guys reckon it's haunted. And other people reckon that that game is a an experiment in sort of like a brainwashing technique. Like what had happened is people would actually be hypnotized uh, or allegedly be hypnotized when they played the game. They would almost feel a sort of slight out-of-body experience. Now we're talking a game that came out in the early 80s. So don't think the graphics are big or anything. It did interesting tricks with its uh, screen refresh rates and colors and lights and all that kind of stuff. All the kind of stuff, that, all the things that you need to brainwash somebody on a photo sensitive or a photo manipulative level. Sorry, guys, I know it's the wrong term, but hopefully our listeners understand what I'm trying to say. Cool but, term. Uh, You're just on fire tonight, brother. But uh, yeah, so the the plot could be a lot about how what Destro is doing is he's using video games, which are on every device uh, on this planet, mm. um, uh, and and using digital devices to hypnotize the population into becoming some kind of cybernetic zombie, and it, or cybernetic techno cyber '90s buzzword zombie that uh, he kind of uh, essentially used to rule the world. And it's up to G.I. Joe to stop his evil plot and, and free our minds from the sort of cyber, cyber spatial invasion or whatever. Oh, how cool would it be to reimagine the G.I. Joe and Cobra uniforms in a kind of Tron oh, aesthetic? Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, so cool. Yeah, well, I'm sure once Kuja hears this episode, he'll be like, why didn't you guys invite me? Come on. That was a cool idea. I have so many. Oh, yeah. Shit, we're going to have to do a follow-up where we just dedicate a whole episode and Kujo just comes with with his ideas. Yeah, but yeah, I think it'll be awesome, actually. Well, dudes, this has been fun. I've enjoyed this experience and I'm glad that we were able to discuss cool ideas and we're all in agreement how awesome ideas are. And to birthday boy Larry Harmer, yeah. I have this to say. Ripty lip dip 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 it's your birthday Ripty lip dip 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 it's your birthday Ripty lip dip 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 it's your birthday Happy birthday Larry I'm disappointed <laughs> in you <laughs> Oh jeez dude Lesbians <laughs> I'd like to name drop actually our new Facebook likes <laughs> We've pushed ourselves past the one hundred mark <gasps> Which is a very modest uh, goal, I suppose. But, I mean, it's not like we do a great deal on Facebook. But, hey, it's nice that you guys have reached out. And so we're going to reach right back uh, and work you into this episode. So, on Facebook, we now have likes from Jason Dent, Eric Mart, Pablo Campo, Luis Fernando Carasquillo, Joe Osborne, Edward Vila, Antonio Saborito Perez, Joe Fritz, Kelly Perry, Stephen Distler... Dave Fannin, Doc Nuzum, John Vanacek, Brian Dickerson, Corey Naderman, Temi Tope Ogunfowake, Dylan Stewart, Monty J. Morse the second, Alexandre Axel Jaguar, Barry Brush, Matt Ramsden, Scott Lindsay, Koa Bradley, Wes Plum, and Aaron Ash. Wow, there's some cool names out there, let me tell you. I mean, you know. When I have my when I have my son. That yeah. is a good idea, So, guys, thanks for joining us on Facebook, and join us next time when we might mention some new people on Twitter. And because mm-hmm. it means a lot. Yeah, we love that you love us, and uh... that's the end of episode fifty-two. Join us next time. 
for the next episode, which will be 53. <sighs> Apparently. Yeah. I think you so. You can dance if you want to. If you really, really want to dance. This is Steve saying uh, g- goodbye. This is Rob also saying goodnight. This is also Paul, and I'm not Gwen Stefani saying, you can dance if you want to. You really, really want to dance. Don't. I don't know the rest of the words, but I'm going to sing the tune because I don't know what the words are now. Like we come from out of this world, leave the real one far behind. 